0: Hello and welcome to FOXED, the practical podcast series from FOX & Partners. In these podcasts,
1: we'll be looking at scenarios from our day-to-day practice, offering solutions to some of the most pressing partnership and employment law questions we hear from our clients. Our goal is to offer a digest of some of today's key issues in a succinct and practical style that we hope you'll find useful and engaging. Thanks for listening.
0: Well, welcome everyone and uh, welcome back to our Part two of our latest edition of the Foxed podcast on bullying and executive conflict, uh, leadership pathways to resilient relationships. Uh, we're back again with Graham Browning as our special guest. Uh, welcome again, Graham. Hi there. Good to be back on Good, good. Now, we promised we would come back to discuss more solutions for some of the issues that we raised in part one. And um, in part one, if you recall, we discussed some of the common themes, some of the warning signs, and we traversed the legal ground a little bit. So in part two, what we want to deal with are, one, bullying in a corporate context versus in partnerships, that's unlimited partnerships and LLPs. Secondly, practical steps to help resolve the issues that we discussed in part one. And then we'll move to discuss some techniques that we think and Graham would tell us work in hybrid environments. So Graham, I've certainly noticed over the years that there are some special features of partner level conflict, which are different to the corporate environment. Partnerships often have deep bonds, uh, mixing friendships and business between individuals. And that can create often more emotive reactions uh, and responses when things go wrong. I wonder, do you have any thoughts or even insights as to the differences and what's going on in this environment
1: Uh, yeah thanks um i I do i've trained um, in many different corporate environments but spent most of my career within a partnership environment and there are some really significant differences and i think they come from three places i think most partnerships have a professional ethos they're they're um, full of professionals. And your standard professional, and apologies to, to any listeners who don't fit this mold, but but here I go. The um, standard professional doesn't relish the idea of being a people manager over somebody else. The reason that they got into their profession was often around um, a love for the, the subject, wanting to make a difference, those kind of reasons. There's not so many who Think that's a great way for me to to manage and lead people, mm-hmm. um, and what that means is often the focus in their development is about acquiring technical skills, acquiring client skills, acquiring business building skills, and not so much about acquiring people management skills. So, when you train professionals and in, in law firms or, or other kind of firms, quite often. Even at quite senior levels, the, the the capability is not at the same level that it might have been if they'd have had their career in a corporate. Mm. And with that, um, becomes a nervousness of of approaching you know quotes difficult conversations. Um, you know, who 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 relishes a difficult conversation anyway? And if you haven't ever been trained to do it, you know even more so. So that's that's one thing. The second aspect of partnerships is that professionals. By and large, don't want to be managed either. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, they're yep. pretty wary of people going to leadership, you know, central management, HR, whatever. And you combine that with the lack of investment in in people management skill, and often with a lot of uh, business and financial success, it's a it's a bit of a heavy heady mix for actually saying, you know, you're not going to manage me on this, you know, um, back off. Mm. Um, so they can become a bit a bit insular. Um, and the third um, main difference, I think, unless that culture has been well-designed and embedded and, and the right measures are taken to maintain it, the partnership culture has got some features that can actually foster behavioural issues. Mm. I'll give you one example. Go ahead. Um, accountability when when um i speak to and train people in corporates about the question of who you're accountable to i normally get pretty clear answers about that because of the way the chain of command works and how how in their face the regulator tends to be it's quite different in partnerships you get a wide range of answers and, uh, from not accountable to anyone or uh, to the other partners those are the most the typical ones mm. and that touches in very much so into what you were saying about deep bonds amongst partners it, it, it's a collegiate club environment and part of that i think is a greater tolerance for slight underperformance including behavioral underperformance for a longer period mm-hmm. than you would expect in a classic corporate and and that can be you know for years
0: mm.
1: and that is a trickle down then because this this primacy of personal relationships, this tendency to move away from um, a behavioral issue, this sense of the importance of relationships um, plays out in in-groups and out-group dynamics if it's mm-hmm. not carefully managed with people, and particularly professionals um, of one profession seeing themselves as slightly better than others, mm-hmm. freezing out of people who get a negative label as being a, an underperformer or difficult, and again... Yeah, that becomes a problem or frankly downplaying a genuine issue because, well, you know, we all know what what so and so is like when they get stressed, but they don't mean any harm. And and that kind of thinking can then make it even even longer before action gets taken. So having grown up in that environment and uh, managed performance in that environment and change those kind of environments, yeah, it is harder overall, I'd say, to to get it right. Mm-hmm. in in a lot of partnership environments.
0: Mm. I think from my experience, what you're describing there is, f- is familiar territory, particularly in professional practices, but also I think to an extent um, in very hardworking uh, financial services practices mm-hmm. uh, as well. And a lot of the, the kind of the oil that keeps, and the grease that keeps the wheel moving is culture, but that only goes so far. And sometimes, you know, structures need to be put in place, constitutional arrangements, in order to protect everyone from each other uh, and to, uh, ensure that, you know, things are addressed in, in early doors and before they become a greater problem. So th- that's the environment, what to do. So, uh, what practical steps would you, uh, suggest a corporate and separately maybe a partnership should take to tackle bullying and to reduce the risk of it occurring?
1: Yes. So, um, well, there's two sides of that coin. I think uh, there's a strategic piece about putting your organisation um, into a good place, um, have the right infrastructure around, and then the other half of it is dealing with individual issues. So if I take the first one first, you could start anywhere, but let's start with role modelling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You, know, you only have to pick up a newspaper or, or, or sit down and watch the news and you get an almost weekly reminder of the importance of – the leader's words matching the leader's deeds um and the importance of that cannot be overstated going back to what i said in the first podcast around transparency mm-hmm. um you know that that is the signal you you are setting the behavioral bar in how leaders lead fish rots from the head is is a cliche but that is absolutely the case in my experience so so getting the role modeling right and within leadership teams I mean nobody's expected to be perfect but leadership teams where you can talk um, to each other to to support each other and cover each other's blind spots are are much more resilient than ones where um, people don't do that so that's that's role modeling Mm -hmm. Um, secondly would be about thinking about the infrastructure you have in have in place that's relevant to this what does the governance look like who who is tasked or what body is tasked with making sure that the words on the page around values and and what bullying is and isn't that these things mean something and that the whole system of the capability that people have the routes they have to raise a concern, how those concerns are looked into, what the actions are, yet all of that is actually working. So governance uh, is where I'd start. Uh, Policies, you've talked already about the importance of of those, and I completely agree. What I would say is they need to be clear, but also the organisation needs to make sure it's going to back their own policy because people are going to rely on that and uh, unfortunately, I, I have come across organisations where when it comes down to it, they wouldn't, on their bullying policy, actually follow the words that they had put. Uh, they said, oh, yeah, there must be a reasonableness test in here somewhere. Yeah. Unfortunately, that wasn't the wording of their policy that said, well, you know, in these circumstances, that is bullying. And the bullying label, especially if you're in a regulated environment, can have consequences. So so being joined up and thinking things through um, with your policy is really important. Investigations. Now, investigations have gone through quite a change over the years from kind of, can we box and bury this issue and, and cover off any legal issues being the default to what's um, emerging, which is a prime opportunity to drill down into the into the drivers and have a very good look at what's going on and then learn some um, lessons. And by learning and, uh, and fixing those um, issues, then you manage the risk. Um, so making sure you've got investigations that are delivering that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, capability. So we talked a lot already about um, having the skill to walk towards a difficult problem, um, how to nip it in the bud. All of that doesn't happen by chance. It's not taught at school. Employers need to look at who needs to be equipped, whether that's everyone, because these things can pop up anywhere, but particularly people with a a leadership or management responsibility, particularly about HR. I've done a lot of work with HR departments. That's a very difficult role to have. How are they supported? All of those things. And also, Making sure your values actually mean something at the at the points where they need to, like who gets into this organisation, who gets promoted, what reasons will we um, downgrade somebody's performance because of how somebody has has been behaving, um, who who gets asked to leave, you know, all of those kind of questions. That's that's all in the big bucket of infrastructure, and the last one on the organisational side. I used to call it the anti-talent strategy. So all the focus on on getting your talent in the top sort of 1%, um, you also need to be quite focused on on your anti-talent. So yeah. the people you don't want to get in and you don't want to rise in your organisation, how are you making that happen? So how does that show up at selection? How does that show up when you do background checks? I mean, I'm well aware over the years of senior level people who have gone from one organisation into another, and then the wheels have really come off very spectacularly, and you just think, "How has that happened?" Mm-hmm. Um, and there are—it is a lot of work to sit on top of an effective background check process because there are very fine judgment calls to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just a process for process processes' sake. So, so that's um, infrastructure.
0: All, mm-hmm. I was going to say yeah. all good insights. I, I was wondering uh, if you think there is. An important difference particularly these days between a kind of an awareness of those issues and then a kind of a, a, an understanding of them so you know rather than in a kind of light touch way uh, leadership teams talking about those issues but not really getting it not really yeah. you know going forward not you know it's very easy to to talk in an abstract way about yeah. these things but to, to kind of live those principles is, is there anything that you know leadership teams should be thinking about to to get the job done to ensure that, you know, managers are actually behaving week in, week out in the right way and, you know, nipping issues in the bud, understanding when an individual has gone off the boil in some way and needs to be spoken to or may need some support or identifying a potential rogue behavior and and, Mm -hmm. getting to the bottom of it before it, you know, uh, snowballs into something more problematic, you know, what can they do?
1: Yes, um, it's a it's a really good point, and I'm glad you've raised that. I, th- I think there's there's a huge gap here between, if you like, the academic textbook and uh, approach to what leadership is, and and sometimes in these areas how it actually is. So, when people get promoted into leadership positions, do they get tooled up in? how to uh, spot an issue and how to address it? Do they get told up in concerning themes to, to look out for? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. The other thing that uh, leaders do as part of their role modelling is to sit down and ask the tough questions. So inevitably there are going to be mishaps and things go wrong. That's just the way things go. But the really effective uh, role models are willing to ask the questions of why has this happened? What can we learn from this? Yeah, really squeeze out every ounce of learning, rather than kind of um, just draw a line as quickly as possible and pretend it didn't happen. And that's that's just the choice that you can make in terms of how you want to hold your own organisation to account for things that have happened and to and to learn and move on. Mm.
0: So, Graham, walk us through how you might deal with uh, an individual issue.
1: Mm. Um, Well, hopefully, if you've you've done the other things right, you're going to hear about them earlier and before the problems really got out of hand because people have flagged it to you and you'll have set some expectations that you can refer to. But the real name of the game is to see the problem, if you need to get some support, talk to HR, um, talk to whoever to equip yourself to have the conversation you need to have, the key is to have the conversation to nip that problem in the bud. These things never age well. And I think there are obviously techniques for doing that that don't trigger people. And in my one-to-one work, I spend a lot of time with people um, whose behaviour is an issue and not triggering them to help them self-reflect, but but from an organisation point of view, the absolute key is to be able to say, we've got to face into this, let's have that conversation that needs to be had, whether that's amongst ourselves or, or
0: with, with support. Hmm. We talked in part one about the challenges that an individual faces, um, the risks to the business, but the very real challenge an individual faces when thinking about legal claims, where they have suffered bullying and uh, an injury. But in the partnership context, the position is quite different so you don't have this doctrine of repudiatory breach in a partnership context Uh, so a constructive dismissal is simply not an option partners are protected by the discrimination legislation but they don't have unfair dismissal rights and because true partners are not employees a partner who's being bullied may feel they have limited options also most partnership agreements my experience contain arbitration clauses so depending on the wording of the clause, a breach of contract or a common law claim is probably going to be resolved in the confidential setting of an arbitration. And that can be a real tactical disadvantage for an individual. Now, the partnership could still be exposed to a hearing in a public forum if a discrimination claim is brought in the employment tribunal or a, in the case of an LLP member, a whistleblowing claim, and those claims are brought quickly within three months of the detriment or act complaint of ordinarily. But it's a challenge, and it's something to be thinking about uh, if the individual is a partner at the outset. It is possible that an LLP member who has suffered from bullying might be able to legitimately walk away and claim whistleblowing detriment and recover the losses suffered in that statutory claim. But that's unusual, and the attempt to claim post-termination losses, if they can prove those losses, being attributable to pre-expulsion detriments Uh, might be possible, but the case law doesn't tell us yet when an LLP member can do that. So these are highly technical and nuanced um, legal arguments that have not been properly hammered out in the case law yet. But in the case of a partner, very often they can be at a disadvantage if they are suffering from bullying. And Graham, resolving these issues in a hybrid working environment is is no easy task.
1: Yes, completely. We're in a different era now. And, it, and it's not just because it's hybrid, it's the context in which we've arrived <laughs> at the hybrid era. So to state some obvious things, people have been through an awful lot over the last few years and we're by no means out of the woods yet, either for COVID, but now economically. Uh, so there's a prolonged drain and, and fatigue, uh, which, which means that people are more likely to, one, trigger other people um, by, by their behaviours, or if somebody has, has upset you, to, to feel it more deeply. We're just, we're just on thinner ice um, uh, overall. Hmm. The other thing that is definitely in the air is a sense of threat. Um, so insecurity around jobs, insecurity about, about the future, the planet, energy, all kinds of things. Many of them have not been on people's minds for generations or at all in their life. These are all priming everyone and the workplace for difficulty. You add hybrid onto that. Um, and what hybrid does is make one managing people much more complicated because. Uh, there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to this. So, so the rules um, within which you're playing are now different and much more personalised. And secondly, it's not quite as far as I'm managing with one hand tight behind your back. <clears throat> but on the other hand, you're not getting a lot of um, things for free as you used to as a manager. For example, seeing people most days of the week and being able to notice yeah by the look on their face how they're doing yeah, it's much more easy to miss things now because you're not you're not in the same place as much uh, with each other and you know it's interesting as i go around different organizations um, around around um, the the city some organizations that the workplace is uh, deserted and you speak to people there and they say yeah it's pretty much always like this and other places, it's not always like this. Yeah, you know, there there are hubs of activity or, or certain days of the week where you know, there's a good buzz about the place. So it, it's a much more complex picture for people and to manage in it requires a, a greater degree of skill um, than previously. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing continued investments in this area, despite despite the economic situation we find ourselves. So is it is
0: it is there a you know sometimes words are not enough. Uh, when you're trying to resolve something or manage a situation. So there's context, uh, behavior, uh, uh, sending a sensitive message to someone in a state of anxiety in an email requires sometimes some mental gymnastics where actually some dialogue where the cues could be read and the tone understood and intentions, you know, properly and accurately and truly understood might be a lot easier. But if it's hybrid, it's hybrid. You just don't have that environment. And there's something about the two dimensions of the Zoom screen that just doesn't work as well uh, for a bunch of reasons I quite don't understand, but nonetheless interested in. (laughs) So, you know, are there there little tips that you could perhaps give, apart from saying, you know, let's speak but let's speak when you're next in Mm. uh let's speak perhaps with you know with some forewarning of what the topic is unless Mm. for tactical reasons that's not wise uh you know let's align thoughts and then um you know is that the right solution in every situation or are there other things that Mm. business should be doing
1: it's a great question and my mind immediately goes actually to coaching um so as a coach before the pandemic, what was, you kind know, of nobody even questioned it, was that it's, it's infinitely better to sit down with somebody face-to-face as a coach and you'll get much better outcomes if, if you do. And if you're remote, then it won't be so good. Actually, within the coaching world, um, the research shows that the outcomes and the quality of the conversation uh, are just as good remotely as in person, which is a bit of a surprise, mm-hmm. and 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 that's I think what that is, um, and how that can help with this this kind of question is there's two things, I think as a coach, um, you you learn very quickly that you yourself uh, are incredibly important in in driving the outcomes. So as a manager or somebody who's going to initiate an important conversation with someone, starting with what am I bringing to this? Yeah, am I am I able to uh, manage myself. Am I am I am I not in the right moment, in the right mindset to to do that? So, as you said, all this stuff links in with, uh, with the other elements. But well-being, personal care, and and your own personal skill is really important. So, a a coaching mindset can be very helpful. So that is a mindset of curiosity rather than judgment. A mindset of yeah, listening first before before speaking, these things, when you switch it into the manager um, dynamic, these things are giving you very useful data. Mm-hmm. You're not piling in <laughs> um, into a situation that you, you haven't appraised. Um, and it also starts um, signaling important things to the other person, that they matter um, and and builds that relationship. And I think that that's the key here. It's very hard to get good outcomes where you've got, say, a difficult message to to deliver if it's just coming cold. Um, that you don't have that relationship built up. Mm-hmm. Um, the more you can do to signal that you that you're interested, you care, you you want to know what they think, even if you're going to have a message to deliver yourself, um, is an investment worth making. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other the other piece, I'd say, about the interaction. Uh, virtually is that it's, it is weird because you have to remember when you were looking at them in the eye, actually, you just have to look down the camera. So you're not actually looking at the person in the eye, little uh, strange things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a bit like, um, if you were projected up on a cinema screen, yeah, you, know, you, you know, managing your, you, what you're disclosing through your, your body language and your tone of, tone of voice and your face, even more important to be aware of that so you know and hybrid hybrid I mean if you we shouldn't assume that we're not going to be able to see this person face to face anytime soon Um, you know we're not we're not in lockdown anymore so it's thinking quite intentionally about you know what do I what do I want and need to do virtually and what do I want to do face to face and doing all you can to build that relationship and that's one of the big things that has been hard Mm. um, since COVID that People have joined the organisation. They haven't been socialised in the in the way they would have been, so the relationships are are different. Sometimes not so strong. You don't know each other as well. It's just harder. Um, so you have to like counteract that with some real intentionality. Intentionality, I
0: think mm-hmm. that's the word I just had in mind as you were speaking. Um, the importance of intention. It's um, mm. and you know it's, some things come naturally if, if they're practiced. Um, and if they're not, then you know, uh, active listening, curiosity, um, having authentic conversations with someone who perhaps is uh, struggling or someone who is not behaving, is probably uh, going to be more more effective and probably more important, um, so that you know the individual doesn't feel as if they're you know they're being subjected to you know transmissions, and yeah. there's, there's more dialogue. It's, it's rather easy or easier to talk about than it is to. Live, I, I think, for as we've discussed, but um, important steps can be taken and uh, big changes made to the risk profile of any business.
1: Yeah, and what I'd add is I don't I don't think we should set the bar unrealistically high for, for very busy, stretched people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've worked with people who yeah, there's a real focus on emotional intelligence. over the last um, couple of years, for obvious reasons, um, who you would say were fairly low on some aspects of that, but because they were coming from a place where they wanted to improve and develop, great great outcomes can follow. Yet yeah, the the person that you worry the most about is the person who, frankly, doesn't really care about mm-hmm. other people. They're there to serve them because you, you, it's very hard to work. With that. So I think if people understand that you're coming from a good place, you've got good intentions, we need to work together on this. I might not get it um, 100% right every time, but bear with me, let me know. You know, most people, most of the time, they're reasonable and they, and they, work with that kind of open attitude i just don't i don't want listeners to come away thinking by me you know I've, I've got to have the skill set of a professional coach as well as everything else how does that fit in i just i, I think it's that intentionality and coming from the right place makes all the difference
0: mm-hmm. scope for growth and that mm-hmm. should be a something we can all work towards mm-hmm. so you know we know these issues are kind of kryptonite for leadership teams we know high damaging um, there can be we know uh, it's very very difficult to tackle there's a policy side of thing to things there is a you know legal issues that need to be dealt with sometimes litigated but it seems to me that the heart of the issue really relates to culture and values and values appear to be moving up the priority list and uh, if they are it's an opportunity therefore would you agree for for business to sort of prioritize live those values and, and attract talent
1: I would agree. And I would also really sound a hopeful note on this. Uh, It is very, very far from doom and gloom out there. It's complicated. It's difficult. It's important. Understand all that. But actually, I can't think of a time when this has had more focus, that more people are genuinely trying to do the right thing by their people. And that with that kind of um, drive good outcomes are happening on the converse it's never been a worse time to to be up to no good for want of a better word Mm. in an organization yeah you're on extremely thin ice um and there are people around who can help help someone like that and also help organizations to to get it right so you know i'm i'm ever an optimist which is how i've kind of had that career and and not gone under and um and yeah, I, I, I see. I see reasons for positivity absolutely everywhere. Thank you. So let's wrap up with some tips. You want a tip from me? If I okay, I will. I will make my my tip this. Um, and I think um, all I'm doing is playing back what you said, Ivor, But it is yeah, actions are everything. Words. There's a place you need a statement of, of um, policy. Of course, you do. But that won't last one hour if the actions don't, don't match it. So it's all about facing into an issue, doing it as early as you can, getting support to do it and knowing that life's uncertain, outcomes can't be predicted, people are unpredictable, but if you're trying to address things in a skillful way, you will be um, doing everybody a service and will, will lead to better outcomes.
0: Sounds like good leadership to me. Thank you, Graham. Thank you for all your thoughts and insights. We're very grateful. And thank you to everyone listening. We hope to see you back at our FOX podcast and we'll explore some of the issues in a blog that we discussed in these part one and two of these podcasts. Do get in touch with us at podcast.foxlawyers if you have any questions or thoughts about anything you've heard today and uh, we look forward to speaking to you all soon. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Foxed, and we hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe via your usual podcast platform, or you can find more details at our website, foxlawyers.com.